Welcome to a new episode of the Black Social Capital Podcast. We out here. We back for another one. We are. We have a very special guest today. And as you know, we like to dive right in and get to the good stuff. So I am going to go ahead and introduce uh, our guest today. Uh, today's guest is Aiko Bethea. She is the founder of Rare Coaching and Consulting. Because Aiko is an award-winning and highly sought-after equity consultant and executive coach and a speaker, um, she is known for her leadership writing, and her work is featured in a range of publications, including the Harvard Harvard Business Review and Forbes magazine. Aiko is also a contributor to an and an to an anthology, say that five times fast, um, that is edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. It is called You Are Your Best Thing, and it is a New York Times bestseller. We are so excited to talk to you, Aiko. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here and to have this conversation with y'all. Awesome. We're like, like, uh, like Dr. Jackie said, uh, we like to hop right into things. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, from the great Audrey Lord. She says, if we don't define ourselves for ourselves, you know, it's about to be a problem in so many words, right? And so just want to, you know, let the audience know who, who you are in your own words. Tell us a little bit about your, your career path. We heard some consultancy in there. We, we heard leadership, but, but give us some background uh, about who you are and how you got to where you are today. All right, so I'm actually a recovering attorney. So I was a litigation attorney for a while. And the reason why I became an attorney was because of something I think a lot of us can relate to, especially as first gen. When you are looking for a job and you want to be financially stable, what are the two jobs that people usually tell you to take? Mm -hmm. they, they tell you to take that, that one that pays. <laughs> lawyer, doctor, engineer. There you go, Dr. Jackie. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Be a lawyer or a doctor. And my science just wasn't working. The math was not math for me to be a, um, a doctor. We wanted people to stay alive. So I did go to law school. And from there, I worked at a large firm, a big firm practice in litigation. And from there, I actually left and I went and worked for the city of Atlanta, where I took like a probably a 70% pay cut. And the reason why I went was uh, many of you know, Stacey Abrams, she left her big firm and went there. And so I went to lead legal teams under her. And from there, I really wanted to do something different from just the practice of law. I wanted to do more work in community and in service to um, folks like me. So I moved to Seattle where I was uh, leading teams for the Bill and, Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I went into philanthropy and it was not exactly what I thought. There weren't a lot of people who looked like me besides the ones on the walls. <laughs> but I was there for a while, learned a lot. And it was definitely a different experience being in Seattle for a while. And from there, I actually started learning to be an executive coach, taking lots of courses, thinking that it was something I wanted to do when I retired. I did go over to... Uh, research center, uh, biotech research center, Fred Hutch, and I led their inclusion work under their COO. When we decided we wanted to come back to Atlanta because I'm a mom to two boys, two black boys, and Seattle, it doesn't have a lot of black and brown people. What? We made a decision to come back to Atlanta and I decided I didn't want to work for anybody anymore. 
and I wanted to give myself bet on me. And so I started an executive coaching practice. One of the things that I noticed that stood out not only for my lived experience, but for my clients is many people don't ever get to see somebody in the front of the room as an expert in leadership development who looks like them. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult also to get an executive coach who is trained, certified, and has experience who looks like you. And what I learned was that many folks who were coming to me for executive coaching had already had a coach who doesn't look like me, usually a white person, and the experience was not a good one. And a lot of disbelief about their experiences they were having versus supporting them through moving through experiencing and experiences and elevating. And so I realized that there was a, a gap here in terms of who gets to say and define what leaders are and the range and different approaches to leadership. So my firm, Rare Coaching and Consulting, we have a bench of about 30 certified executive coaches and facilitators, and they're all people of color. Our main practice is usually B2B, but we also have public workshops for folks who may not have um, dollars for professional development, folks who want to have a different learning and leadership experience in community, and also somebody at the front of the room who's not going to question their experiences, but validate them and help them to move forward. And also for lots of folks who are not people of color, white folks, they have never had executive leadership or coaching from somebody who doesn't look like them, which means operating in a silo or an echo chamber. And for them to elevate, they need to have a different type of experience as well. And that's what we offer. So you can see, even in that, I went through several different career choices and I didn't even talk about the very beginning of where I started from. And I think they say now the average people have about 15 different careers, mm -hmm. but that's where I landed where I am now. And I am, I love what I do. And I love the community within my, um, my organization. I love the fact that we can show up the way that we are. I like the fact that we can be honest about our experiences and who we are as well. Okay. So you just said like, on one hand, you provide executive coaching to people who look like us, right? And that is powerful in its own right. And I actually never thought about what it means to provide executive coaching to, you know, maybe more the white, cis, het, right, group of people and what that might actually do for their employees in the long run. Because if you can get people who are in executive positions to be used to talking to and listening to and taking advisement from people that look like us, that probably helps their diverse staff in leaps and bounds. Absolutely, Dr. Jackie. What we learned is it elevates their emotional intelligence. I mean, they are now in proximity to people who they are usually not around, especially not in the space of getting insight from. Wow. So usually when you're the only one and saying, let's just say that you're a white person in leadership, you hire somebody, maybe you're trying to make this effort to be more diverse, mm -hmm. or maybe you just hired the best candidate and they look like us. Mm -hmm. And when they come, when they're actually on your team, you may find that you have hesitancies that you didn't really realize before. You may realize that, wow, I actually talk to this person differently than I do other people. Or this person is bringing issues to you and ideas that you've never heard of. 
So you might need support or coaching in terms of shifting your mindset or understanding more so why am I having these hesitancies? Mm. You know, why am I not believing them when they're telling me they are having this experience? And maybe you'll always come all the way to the point of thinking, how come this is the first time I've hired somebody of color? So a lot of that is going to shift your mindset and who you become as a leader. It's going to challenge you, but I'm a strong believer that in those moments where we have inertia and friction, those are our growth moments. Those are our moments to be able to self-reflect, to challenge ourselves and our beliefs and to grow. Otherwise, you're just getting more of the same, right? Right. You're not getting any new nutrients. You're not getting any new vitamins. You're doing the same thing over and over again which also means that the spaces that you inhabit are also kind of stale in a way. You're not allowing your other team members to grow and to stretch as well. You're basically saying where we are is good enough, even though we all look the same and we're not stretching. Or sometimes when that new um, identity comes in, you're thinking what's wrong with them and why can't they get along with us versus thinking about, wow, they're challenging us and we need to stretch. So that idea of how do we how do you create an ecosystem where other folks aren't having to come in and assimilate or code switch or cover? And actually, that's our tagline is leadership development without code switching, assimilating or covering. Look, you just just started down a pathway that I was about to ask about because um, you mentioned Stacey Abrams and she has a book out, Lead from the Outside, right, which kind of pairs into some of her philosophies on leadership, but, you know, just in that statement about not code switching, uh, it got, got me thinking about how you define leadership as a, as a, as an individual and how you define it for others as a part of your company. And I think that tagline really, uh, uh, is a good summation of it, but if you could delve a little bit into maybe, uh, you talk a little bit about executive leadership, right? So how would you define leadership and executive leadership for those that are looking to maybe define the spaces for themselves, uh, level up? You know, how, how would you define the two? Yeah, that's a good question, Dr. Theo, because um, sometimes we say stuff and we just have assumptions around them, right? Mm-hmm. So leadership, anybody can be a leader. Be a leader in your household, a leader in your community, Right. So you don't need to have any kind of credentials, degrees, whatever. You're a leader because of how you're showing up and even the responsibility you're willing to take as well as accountability you're willing to take on as well. When we think about executive leadership, I'm usually talking about it in the sense of somebody uh, having a level of leadership within an enterprise, nonprofit, company, corporate, whatever. But they have a responsibility there that rises above maybe when you're entry level. So we're talking about executive leadership where these other skill sets come into play, too, in terms of being responsible for the growth of others, being very responsible for the outcomes in an organization, um, taking on accountability as well for the culture. And so that's what I see as different in terms of executive leadership. I'm certainly not thinking about executive leadership in terms of the demographics that you may inhibit, like the fact that you are um, usually the demographics of when people think about executive leaders looks like a white male, or in this case right now, even females. Mm -hmm. And when I think about executive leadership, I'm thinking about people who are taking accountability also. 
So that is, those are some of the, the factors that I would use as distinguishing points, but from leader to executive leadership. Look, if y'all don't have a notepad, your, your tablet, <laughs> typing down some notes right now, y'all missing out. At least we play this one back already. Right. You got another question, Dr. Jackie? Mm, nope, because I no, think you're going to be Because I can go all day. I'm up here thinking about questions that's not even on this sheet I'm supposed to be reading. <laughs> I mean, it's just really interesting to hear the perspective of someone doing executive leadership um, and to hear you define it as well. Because most of the time, Dr. Theo and I, we're really talking to people who are doing more coaching, uh, maybe some executive coaching, but really a lot more like life coaching, right? We talk to psychologists, right? Um, those are the individuals that we work with the most. So this is a this is a really different way to look at how to coach someone and it, it the impacts just seem like they're they're just so broad mm -hmm. and i love that you were talking about even the nuances in about like what's a coach so many people don't think about there are a lot of different types of coaches right there are life coaches who might help you in a range of even personal matters of navigating from being single to being married to being a parent to taking care of elderly parents whatever the deal is then you also have people who might be business coaches so they're helping you in terms of making decisions about your business and the finances and scaling and products and then you have a, you so you have a range you have wellness coaches right trying to help you get into your best top fit shape or healthier mindset coaches when i'm talking about executive coaches I am very much talking about within the organizational context, organizational development context. So that is a bit different as well. And I, I think it's just so important because when you when you hear people talk about their jobs and if you look at social media and watch people talk about their jobs, they're talking about how company culture is terrible. People leave bosses, not organizations. Um, people talk about how, you know, bosses have like violated their rights. Um, I just read a whole long post on like someone who needed ADA, um, accommodations and their boss was like, nope, I'm just not going to do it. Right. You should just quit. Like, mm -hmm. and people are like, that's illegal. And it's like, yeah, organizations get away with a lot of illegal stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you can just get a hold of the people at the top or the people who, like you said, are responsible for the culture, the people who are responsible for the growth of others, you can put a stop to a lot of that. Yes. So you just pointed to why this work would be so critical for somebody who believes in um, equity, who believes in opportunity for all of us to be able to thrive. Why would you do it in an organization that looks so white or what have you? Why would you be doing that work there? Well, a couple of reasons. One is when you are coaching these people in terms of how to think differently, how to self-interrogate, you're not, I'm never going in assuming that just because you're sitting in the seat of CEO, that you've done all your growth or you've right. done all your de development. And with me being on the outside of the organization, I don't have to carry any consequences or fear of being honest with you. Mm -hmm. So if you have that CEO or the C-suite, CHRO, these folks, 
really being challenged in a different way to be able to show up differently, you can really impact an organization's culture. And at the same time, when we're going into these organizations, I'm very clear that there's even the inequity in the fact that you're able to afford me and hire me, and you're hiring me to work with the people who are already at the highest pay grade. What about the other folks who often are in pain because they're within an organization for all the things that you described, Dr. Jackie, that are toxic and a culture that is reminding them over and over long that they don't belong here, whether it's intentional or not. So when they see me show up and I'm able to either run somebody from my team or something, we're all able to run a focus group so that there are folks like us who understand the questions to ask. We believe them. We're not challenging them, mm-hmm. trying to find out more so in terms of what are they feeling and we're bringing them in and they, they, they feel that they can trust you versus bringing in more of the same. And the other part is making sure that those contracts we have with our clients, some of that funding is going towards leadership development for other folks, regardless of what level they are in the organization. Because for them to actually be able to feel sustained in a, especially a toxic culture, Jackie, or one that is aggressive towards them or violent towards them. And white violence looks like a lot of things. It doesn't take, you know, a lot of words or a lot of crosses and hoods. But for them to be able to be in a workplace where they're able to one, speak honestly and also get guidance about what they're experiencing. Because our goal is not to train people or convince people to assimilate. It's for us to understand what is it that we really want? How does this job serve you? Once that job isn't serving you anymore, you have to really question, why am I still here? And the way that it's serving you might, quite frankly, be that I got rent to pay. I need these health benefits, whatever it is. And you shouldn't feel any shame or blame about that. But also in thinking, okay, so there's an intentional reason that I'm here. Now, how do I get to my next and still fulfill those needs? You don't need to be stuck. You can just be honest about this is where I am now. Mm-hmm. This is how it's working for me. This is how it is not working for me. And now what does my next look like and how do I prepare myself to get there? I have a question about that. <clears throat> so um, it's funny because I feel like we do a lot of reflection on this show. So uh, so you mentioned some of your pivots, right? Going from law and into consulting. One, um, what are some what are some skills or ideas that you feel like are transferred between the two that were good transferable skills for you? And then two, like how did you how, how did you uh, come to terms with that same idea of this situation wasn't benefiting me? I'm gonna start my own my own thing. So that same reflection you were just talking about, how that apply to to your own kind of pathway? Yeah. So even starting that. Um that last question that you have, and I probably have to have you repeat the first one, but that last question of me getting to the point of saying, I'm going to start my own. It had a lot to do with me setting boundaries in my life. What's okay and what's not okay. And it also had to do with me taking a bet on myself versus everybody else. We get this false narrative that, oh, you're going to be more secure when you are working for somebody. But many of us know, especially those of us who don't look like everybody else in our organizations or at certain levels, is that there's a higher cost that you're paying every day. 
-hmm. in terms of what you're not saying, what you might be enduring, or the risks that always exist, or even the aggressions that we experience. So we're always paying a cost. So whatever your salary is, it is not going to um, give you that net pay that you get because once you take out all the taxes you're paying in your um, mental health, in your physical health, in not being with your children, whatever it is, we're not doing, you're not adding that in because you might end up being in the negatives once you start doing that. So wow. me, I think I told you like my, my inertia there or my friction was thinking about my kids and what is experience I want my two boys to have. So we're going back to Atlanta, right? We're in Atlanta now. So we went back to Atlanta and the other part was like, I had one interview that someone in my network said, Hey, you really need to check out this company is a big tech company, probably the biggest one in Atlanta. And I interviewed with someone and that interview was very much just an experience of white violence. And this idea of, I know what my credentials are. <laughs> I mean, I don't pay student loans anymore, but I paid for that education, right? I know I'm capable. Congratulations. I'm trying to be like you. I don't pay no more. But I know that I'm capable. So just because you're in this seat, and it was a white woman, you're in this seat, you can't diminish me. I'm certainly not going to sign up to be in a role where I'm going to elevate your whole organization by you bringing me in. But then I'm probably going to have to fight with you every day. And I'm probably going to have to deal with the violence you're going to try to inflict on me every day by trying to remind me that I don't belong here or that I'm less than or that you know better than or putting me in a situation where I might have to coddle you. And that's not what I'm going to do. So a lot of it had to do with boundaries as well. I mean, I later found out that the sister they ended up hiring, she was there for six months. And you know that that six months probably took six years of her life off of her. So part of it is boundaries, um, coming to a point of making difficult decisions about what's okay, what's not, and what you want your life to be. And then this idea of pursuing it and believing in it. And that's how I ended up working for myself because I never saw myself as an entrepreneur at all because I was also one of the people who was drinking the Kool-Aid about, oh, you know, good benefits, a job, this, that, mm -hmm. great six-figure salary, this, that, and the other. And even your identity can get caught up, in, up with the organization you're with. I work at Google. I work here. Mm -hmm. And for me, walking away from that and understanding, like wanting to ask myself what's possible. And also this idea of there's this need. And if I don't fulfill it, who will? And guess what? I can always go back on the plantation. Right. I can always go back there and do that if I have to. But let me bet on me first. So what I'm hearing from all of that, okay, so I'm going to detour a little bit. So I've had friends and I've been in a situation where I've just had like these jobs, like something's going on at the job. It's toxic. I can't stand it. It's not time for me to leave. I need the job. I got to stay. Same for my friends. And then like the friend gets another job and we're just going to talk about my friends for now. <laughs> my friend gets another job and they're like, yeah, I'm about to give my two weeks notice. And I'm always like, let's dream up 
all of the ways that we can go into, we can together, your boss don't know me, we can go into your boss's office and tell them, of course, it's all hypothetical. We, No one's ever going to let me into their boss's office. But tell oh, them, boy, like, oh, your boy. organization is terrible because of this, and you could have did that better, and you, everything's going to go wrong, and you just lost somebody great. Like, that's your job. You get to do that. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> And at the same time, I'm thinking about what do I need to come out of this? What do I need? What's my purpose in this um, agreeing to take this engagement? So most of the time people are not going to hire me if they don't already want to challenge themselves. Because I'm always very clear about, I'm, I'm honest. I'm a very honest person. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to hold you accountable. I want you to hold me accountable. So there's already going to be rigor there. So, and I am still seeing the person as a human being. Right. I'm not all of a sudden putting you over in this category. And I know that you have hard choices. And I know that there's a system that enabled you to be how you are. Mm. And let us both walk together and challenge it. You know, this uh, over COVID, I had two CEOs or two white male CEOs who I was coaching, totally different organizations. And after our engagement, they both left their roles. And at one, it was a simple question of why are you staying? What would you do if you weren't CEO? And they never even gave themselves permission to ask that. Wow. And then it was, oh, what would I do? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why am I here? <laughs> and them actually thinking about, I actually hate what I'm doing. And these are all the things I would actually do. So giving themselves even permission to think about it. So there's this idea of many of us still living uh, into their agenda. When I say theirs, I mean somebody else's, whether it's your mama, your daddy, your community of origin or society, whatever it is, four years of school, get married, have two kids, be CEO, whatever it is. Or it's for some of us, it's you're 16 or 18 and you need to learn how to be on your own, whatever. There is a their agenda that exists, but you have to create space to also understand what's your agenda. And many of us don't give ourselves permission to think about what's my agenda. And that that very much overlaps with what's my purpose. Yeah. And your purpose may not be clear all the time. But what I do know, most people know that's clear is what's not working. And oftentimes knowing what's not working and what's not OK can get you towards and closer to what is working, what is resonating, what it is that you really want. But you have to be able to give yourself permission to ask these questions and answer them honestly. And that's how an executive coach can help you. So that's what that's that part of that that aspect of what is next in doing your own inner work, too. And remembering when you're staying at a job that is not working for you, you need to understand that is not your agenda. You are still working on somebody else's agenda and it is not serving you not holistically to the point that you want to get to, right? Yeah. All right. So that makes me, so one of the questions I had looking at like your bio and everything was like, what do you think people in leadership should be thinking about to further their um, diversity, equity, um, belonging type goals right now? But I feel like maybe that's that's where we are in this conversation. It's like, why are you there? What are you trying to do? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It's what kind of leader do you want to be and what kind of person do you want to be? It's that simple. There is no skill called diversity skill. There is no skill called equity skill. And there is no skill called inclusion skill. Diverse, equitable, and inclusive organizations and teams are a result of good leadership. That means leaders who are willing to ask themselves the hard questions, willing to be held accountable, willing to welcome and invite other people to ask them difficult questions willing to open their eyes and understand what's not like the others, are willing to say who's missing, why do all of us look alike, to understand that when they are in an echo chamber of either all these people who look alike, sound alike, smell the same, went to the same types of schools, that they're already operating at a deficit. Mm. So because you are actually in this way missing so much of society lived experiences and perspectives, you can't tell me you're about innovation because you have just surrounded yourself by a lot of the same. And we know that and folks say, well, no, just because we have uh, similar identities or whatever, we're not. Um, we have diversity of thought and we have different lived experiences. What we do know is that based on your gender and your race, your race being one of the number one indicators, your lived experience and the way that society treats you is different. It is different and it's not going to be made up by saying, oh, but we all went to difference. We all were Stanford class of 70, 71 and 72. Mm-hmm. So there is a big difference. So that is when I think about leaders wanting to be able to lead diverse, equitable, inclusive teams. They need to lean into being stronger leaders. And that means that they need to elevate their emotional intelligence. I think that actually, Dr. Theo, that was your question. What's the skill set that most that's most transferable for leaders um, to make them successful? Hopefully, is the point. Mm-hmm. And is emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence, one key factor of it is self-awareness. Self-awareness, who am I? What are my beliefs? Why do I have these beliefs? And challenging them. <laughs> so you know what? I'm done with you. Right. Right. <laughs> But being able to ask yourself these questions. And then the next part is understanding who other people are. And one thing that people don't do, even in this four box of emotional intelligence of talking about self-awareness, awareness of others, which is where empathy sits. So that's awareness. And then it's management or regulation. So now that I know who I am and maybe maybe what some of my Achilles heels are, I need to manage myself and regulate myself accordingly so that when I am in the group environment of others and other people, I'm able to manage and navigate that relationship well. But a lot of folks don't even have the self-awareness part. When somebody gets mad, they're like, oh, my gosh, why are you calling me white? Because you are white. Why why is that an issue? (laughs) You know, why am I an issue? Why is that an issue? Why is somebody calling somebody, you know, oh, why are you calling me straight? Well, well, are you? And do you? But that shouldn't matter. Yes, it matters because it matters in terms of how we also might engage with each other. So when I think about emotional intelligence, it's not just self-awareness, awareness of others, management of self, management of others or the relationship, it goes beyond that. It also goes to power and identity. You do not know who you are as a leader and you do not know how you're impacting people unless you are aware of your identity and power. You cannot regulate how you're engaging with other people in a way that is sustaining if you are not 
willing to accept and see what their power and identity is in a situation. And who is usually the person who recognizes power and identity most? Who is it? The minoritized people. The people who are mainly disenfranchised without power or have an identity that doesn't, is not empowered. Mm-hmm. So the opposite is true in terms of the people who notice at least are the ones who have who don't exactly who have power in their identity in their person or what have you so you cannot be emotionally intelligent until you have brought these factors in about yourself and the people you're engaging with and now you regulate that and decide what am i going to do about it well i think that that um that idea the concept of power overall right it gets into especially in the dei space talks about allyship and all those things it's like who holds power how do you use it do you uh do you use it to bring light to issues or uh do you step up to a situation do you step back from a situation um i think that those are all concepts for sure that that uh you hear often in in trainings around this right but what you're saying that i agree with and that i like is that all that internal dialogue starts with you right understanding how how you relate to those dynamics first and then bringing that your understanding of yourself to the group which is something that um you know when i when i think about leadership books and things like that it's always how we kind of relate to others but i like how you're talking about first relating to yourself and leading yourself and those those dynamics uh which is which is amazing can you maybe give us an example of um, something a leader has done that's really impressed you? Because I think a lot of t- the times in these conversations, we're like, people need to do more of this and this is what's missing. But like, like, can you give us an example of, some time, at, of a time when somebody really got something right? Yeah, I would say um, one of our clients, a large global company, um, the CEO said in a um, <laughs> in a session with all of not just the C-suite, but all of the levels of directors also invited in the room or were there virtually as well and asking him, what did he learn from what is he going to change and what did he learn? Because I took them through this um, leadership course and I was stunned. I thought he was going to talk about what other people could do and whatever operations. And he said, I need to learn how to say one, I don't know. And to also ask for help. And those are two things that are hallmarks of being vulnerable when you were, especially when you, when you feel like I'm getting paid to know things and I'm going to actually say one, I don't know. And I need help. Look, I appreciate it when when uh, when the folks around me have done that in my spaces. So, yep. well, you know, one of the um, one of these signs or characteristics and traits that tell people that they can trust you is your willingness to say "I don't know" and also your willingness to ask for help. Because when people leave on my team and they just go, you know, nobody's asked me any questions and they just feel like they got it. I'm waiting for it to fall apart. 
You ain't asked me no questions or last blah, blah, blah. I'm waiting for what's, what's going on. But when, I, when you tell me I didn't understand this, can you clarify this? I don't know if this is going to work. Wait, did you consider this? I know that you're being honest with me and you're going to bring it to me. Um, even when you think that I may have been making a misc, you're not going to live in fear. You're going to be, you're going to bring the rigor. Or when you say, I don't know if I had the bandwidth to be able to do this, if I had the capacity and I think I'm going to need blah, blah, blah. Now I can trust you because you're understanding your boundaries as a leader and you're willing to ask for help. Makes sense. And I think that also points to, um, because I, I specialize within student affairs, right? Um, so for me personally, like within my specialty is assessment. So if someone can do that, that lets me know that if I bring them some good data, they, you know, I'm always happy to answer any questions about my data. Like, where did this come from? Why did you ask this question? How many people answered this question? Is that general? Like, I'll answer all those questions. But when I give you good data, I want to be trusted I want to be listened to, right? I want I want it to be used, right? Mm -hmm. So that would make me feel very comfortable if I felt like that person was being honest and if that was going to be how things were going to go, you know, from that point moving forward, even if mm -hmm. it was slow improvements, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. I, sh I should give a caveat. I should say something that... Um, Oftentimes, many of us don't have the benefit of some of the default safety that other people have. So I'm the only, say I'm the only woman or I'm the only black person or whatever in a room. It may be harder for me to ask for help or to say I don't know something because we know in the water, the toxicity that's there could be the automatic assumption that I'm dumb. Or, oh, that's the affirmative action hire. Oh, she says she needs help. She's being lazy. So we know that these caricatures and things are in the water. And it may make me operate in a place of fear or self-protection. And I don't feel like I can be vulnerable. So I want to be really clear that I also understand that some spaces and cultures actually do not invite that for some of us. And when we were talking earlier, Dr. Jackie, about the price we're paying, that tax we're paying is I am going to lead into toxic productivity and work harder than everybody else because I have to, not so that I can strive for excellence, but because I have to disprove the stereotype in the system that is working against me that I have seen played out. Just by virtue of the fact that I'm the only one that looks like me lets me know that this stereotype is playing out in the system because I know I'm not the smartest black person and I know I'm not the smartest black woman, but why am I the only one up in here? So I do want people to understand that when someone is not asking questions and especially if they are underrepresented, there is a message in your system that, can, that is very loud and clear and you need as a leader to actually speak out about that and say, I welcome and I want you, Dr. Theo, to come and ask me questions. I don't want you to at all be thinking that I think you're less than or you don't you're you don't have the capacity. I want you to come because I want to invite you to. You need to proactively name that and say that. Yeah, I, th I think that especially when you're when you're in spaces when 
me, you might be the the one of one or one of a few. Um, it's definitely reassuring when your leadership can say those things. But I also know, you know, that's part of the reason why our show is called, uh, you know, Black Social Capital. So, it's sometimes you're not going to have that that uh, that space that can fill up your cup within your workspace, right? And how do you go back to that workspace if, if you truly think that space is important and to shift it, right? And so. I think that it's important also to to note that sometimes you'll have to find those spaces outside of a space so that you can operate within a space and also you know uh have that have that that boldness to point out things that you don't have within the space if that if that makes sense so absolutely absolutely yeah. and there's nothing like community capital in terms of having a space where we can be vulnerable having a space where we can bring um, healing, our own healing, our own validation. Uh, I would only question the fact of when, when sometimes we take on the burden of saying we have to change the system or we have to basically survive it using our bodies as a body shield for what mm -hmm. and for who. I just want to invite us to constantly question that belief that it needs to be us or this belief that um, we don't have any other choices mm -hmm. because we're already paying a price every day when we wake up in these bodies that we're in. So I want to question that because um, you don't got to go nowhere and, you know, be a, a, a body shield for everybody else. We're, we're so make sure you understand that the job is serving you. That's true. Definitely I, I, been I, there. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to pivot okay. us, if I could, just a little bit. Uh, you, you like me, have a fancy uh, background with books. Uh, in the background, that means we're we're learning that we read things. Uh, yeah. So, want to want to know uh, what are you reading now, or, or or what what's a book that you always like to recommend to folks? So, what what what's what's on your bookshelf? And then uh, we heard a little birdie say you got something coming down the pipeline as well as it relates to leadership and writing and things. So I wanted to give you space for that too. Thank you, Dr. Thea. So of course the books that I'm writing, I'm reading right now are up on my nightstand because they're in my room. So I'm rereading essays of Audre Lorde. So I loved when you opened with that quote and I was just now reading the essay on anger and um, the validation of anger because there's a lot of shame for people around having anger. So I love that one. Mm -hmm. um, in the language of silence, she has one on silence too. So anyway, I'm reading, I'm rereading Audre Lorde's um, essays and I'm also rereading Bell Hook's uh, Teaching to Transgress. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I mean, if I had to make recommendations from people too, um, I would say I'm Not Yelling, which is by Elizabeth Leba, A Black Woman's Guide to Navigating the Workplace. I think that's really important, especially for white folks to read, too. And I would say Trisha Hershey's book. She's a founder of the Nat Ministry. If you haven't heard of it, Rest is Resistance, a manifesto. So those are two books that I would say, dang, please read it because they will help you to counter toxic productivity and perfectionism and maybe even help you understand where they came from. And this idea that we have to earn rest that's got to be put away versus the fact that resting is a right. So these, those are the two that I would tell people to read right now. Of course, if you aren't reading any Andre Lord, you need to um, be familiar with her. Same with Bell Hooks. But Liz's book, I'm Not Yelling, 
um, it, 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 it's great. And of course she, she relies on, she leans on, you'll hear Audrey Lord in there, Maya Angelou and some others. And if you haven't also read, but some of us are brave, it's an anthology. You need to get on that too. Well, go to your local independent <laughs> bookstore. That's right. Your black owned. That's books. right. Go to your mahogany books. When you mm -hmm. asked about my books, I got two projects that I'm super excited about. And one is a nonfiction book. It's on leadership. It's kind of like an adult which way book of um, presenting different scenarios and what you would choose and what you would opt to and why some fall flat and why some reflect growth. And the great thing about it is that it's as if, you know, if I'm reading something and I realize this is what's going on with Brad and what he chose to do, I can understand some of the reasons why he did them. I'm on the outside looking in so it can help me to have empathy about why he did something, his ignorance or his fear. But it also gives me different options of what Brad might do. And the same thing about, you know, if Keisha's over here and the choices that she might make, it helps us to understand why she made them. You know, somebody does some foolishness, some of the things that we have to deal with are aggressions. You know, if she goes off and says, why are you so mad? Well, if you understood that she had to deal with this 20 times a day, as well as other indignities, maybe you can really understand what we mean when we say aggressions. People say microaggressions, but there's nothing micro about it. So I'm talking about aggressions here and white violence towards us. And then you're also thinking about the Keisha who takes the time and explains and educates people. And what does that cost her? When she does that out of her time from her day, her emotional labor, everything. And then even this other aspect of maybe Keisha's just not going to talk to you. You won't you won't hear from her again. You thought that we were best buddies. Well, you were a little bit too familiar already, but she has a right to set boundaries. And I hope that all of us, the Dr. Jackies and me, and we read Keisha's thing, we realize, yes, I do feel like that sometimes. And there's validation that I feel this way when I'm angry. I went off and people might say it wasn't professional, but it was valid about why I did that. I don't want to talk to Brad anymore or whoever. And that's my right to set my boundaries to do that. So I want us to have that affirmation and validation. But I also want Brad and other people to read it to understand that perspective. And at the same time, I want Brad and them to understand, yeah, there are levels to this, but you still let you barely dipped your toe into it. So think about this option and this option. And when you're really getting there. So it's a which way book with different scenarios and how people might respond. And I'm hoping that it brings a degree of self-awareness and also awareness of others and empathy, as well as your own self-compassion, too. So I'm hoping it's a validation point for many of us, but also a call for others is that you ain't even started. You know, just because you're saying, I'm sorry, you ain't you haven't started. And there are layers to this things. And while you're taking your time talking about your tire and all these other things, other people are dying. So I get that you're tired and it's stressful, but at what cost to everybody else and the people who you claim that you care for? So that's the book that's coming out Q1 of next year. And then I have a, um, a fiction book, which is a cozy comfort series that's all majority characters are people of color because I do believe that for us to start doing things differently and things we've never seen before, we have to learn how to be creative. And we have to give ourselves permission to imagine. And I mean, like, not like Octavia Butler and sci-fi and Wakanda. I'm talking about imagining here and now real time, 
how we can show up and how we can be and how we can be free and how we can honor our choices and really things that we have always been doing in community, which is supporting each other. You know, that's where we hold a lot of our healing space and what that looks like and honoring that. So I'm super excited about the um, Creative Cozy Comfort Series that's coming out too. Thank you for asking about that, Dr. Thea. Yeah. I was like, all them books on the shelf, there's got to be some good ones. And if you're reading all that good stuff, that means you know you got something to say yourself. So, uh, you know, I'm always excited to see, you know, how people's creativity shows up in different spaces, right? Whether it's, you know, talking and creating the next leaders or, you know, putting something down in a book so that people can have it for later um, as well to have it on their their, their nightstands. So as soon as soon as uh, as soon as those drop, you know, let me know so I can put them on my shelf and and look extra fancy, right? So, <laughs> uh, Dr. Jackie, I know we're coming close to time, but uh, do we have any other like burning questions? Because, like I said, I, I could sit here all day. I mean, I'm in class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely got my full page of notes. I Thank you for having me. I didn't hear you, Iko. I'm sorry. I was just saying thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been this has been amazing. I definitely feel like I've learned a lot, so I can just imagine how much um, our listeners are going to benefit from this. Thank you so so much. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, it seems like that's our show. I don't want it to end. Uh, look, I'm a, I'm gonna end the show for y'all. I'm gonna uh, ask some questions <laughs> as soon as I get off because <laughs> I run this. Um, but we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this episode. We'll see y'all on the next one. And as always, uh, stay motivated, rise together. Yep. Peace. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, the way we build social capital is to build self and build others. You're sure you got some notes on your tablet, computer, or even using a pen and paper. Leave us a review. Continue the conversation on social media at Black Social Cap and share the show with someone you know. Until the next episode, stay motivated, rise together.